Hello and welcome to episode 32 of the Deer Out Podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Fred. How are you doing on this fine summer's evening, Fred? I'm very good, thank you. And you? Uh, yeah, not too bad. Not no, too good. bad. Um, so we've got a few things to talk about today. We have some new patrons. Yes, we do. I don't know if you want to quickly go through those. Okay. Uh, we've got Eric Austin Lee. Guerick. Not sure about that one. The pronunciation. I approve. And Tony Durzo. Yeah, thank you very much, guys. We really appreciate yeah, the support. Yeah, thanks, guys. We've got a couple of new people in the Discord. Discord's been popping. Yes, been posting their game pictures and making us jealous. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez, man. I feel like our 18xx play percentage has gone way down. It's too low. I think our game group has staged a revolt. I think they decided <laughs> we needed to play more Euros again. Yeah. But we will see. We will force them back or reclaim them into the fold. No, we must also do some two-player 1862, man. We must do that. Someone said it was good. Who was saying it was good? Or they tried it? Was it the train shuffling guys, maybe? Not sure. I feel like someone tried it. They did a solo, I think, on YouTube. Could have been someone in our Discord, actually. Could be. saying they tried it, yeah. Yeah. But they said it was good. But I have heard that it's good. Yeah. Yeah, we must do that. We must try that. I think it'll be fun. Sometimes those games are really fun two-player because you just get, like, a turn all the time. Mm. And you just get to float a million companies and just go, like, totally wild. Yeah. And And it's easier to keep track of what all your opponents are doing because there's only one. (laughs) Right. Yeah, exactly. I think it can be quite fun sometimes in those, I I guess, in like the operational games or whatever, you just like floating companies and doing stuff and Mm. that track will fill up quickly. Yeah, there's a lot of things. People have been talking about 62 a lot in terms of like strategies and stuff. And there's a lot Mm. of stuff I'm really keen to try. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, Mm. I've been making notes. Don't you? Oh, man, I should get to studying then. So I asked in our Discord actually about 18MS because um, someone had played it. I think it was Dan. Dan from Michigan. Mm. Rat bastard Dan, as he's affectionately known. <laughs> um, he was saying that it was actually quite good. So 18MS used to come with 18 Dixie, I think. I think I said the wrong thing last time. But oh, I think right. that's okay. the one, which I think is also one of Mark Derrick's. I hope I'm not screwing that up as well. Uh, the guy who did 18AL, 18GA, mm. and 18 Max, which we have coming at some point. Yeah. Yeah, so it was like a little included in the box standalone thing, but it's basically like a very short playing 18xx. It's supposed to be good for beginners. Okay. I think there might be no privates and there's only like five companies if I'm thinking of the right one. Um, But yeah, he was saying what interested me was that he said that it still felt like it had some teeth and it still felt Mm. like an 18xx game. So I'm actually quite keen to try it now. Um, All Aboard Games is apparently releasing that as a standalone thing. Oh, okay. I was going to say, is it available for print and play or is it Yeah, so I think, I feel like, I can't remember if Dixie was print and play or not. Um, I'm not sure if it was. I think at some point it was. But you know, with these print and play, it's always difficult because sometimes they are available and sometimes they aren't when someone picks it up or starts distributing it or whatever. Yeah, but I'm quite keen to have a look at that because I think it will probably be very affordable. Okay. And it might be quite fun as like a very Mm. short playing experience or something that you can bust up with someone totally new. Okay. I'm always interested in these new games that don't like dilute to the point where it's it's pointless. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, for us relative newbies, it's probably still fun anyway. (laughs) Yeah. I haven't really met an 18xx I didn't like yet. No. No. Well, you know, except the elephant (laughs) in the room, but we won't talk about that. Um, yeah, so is there anything else you want to chat about or should we go on to the mail? Yeah, we can go on to the mail. That right there is the mail. Now let's talk about the mail. Can we talk about the mail, please, Mac? I'm dying to talk about the mail with you all day, okay? Joe spoke to us about... Oh, yes, in the Discord. Yes. Yeah. So I dug up Joe's message on Discord. So he said that he'd write a little bit about Chicago Express... Um, and sort of why he loved it so much and what we were all kind of missing on it. Um, so I just want to read some of the stuff he wrote here because I thought it was quite interesting. Um, so he says it's an amazing game that would take a dissertation in length to explain all the intricacies. Um, but here are some things to think about. So he says it's a game of shared incentives, temporary alliances, and most importantly, your position in relation to everybody else. Think carefully about your action. Who will benefit most from it? How will your action improve your position or create distances of wealth between players? What tools are at your disposal to slow a runaway leader or increase your own? And I think that makes sense in terms of it being different to 18xx where it's not like you're going to start off owning 50 or 60% of a company and Mm. then someone else has like one share or two shares. Like as soon as someone buys one share in your company, you're 50-50 straight Mm. away. Yeah. So that is, there's a lot more shared incentive in it than I feel like in other ones. Yeah. 
Um, so I think that's valid. But he says there's so many different things to consider in this web of interlocking actions and player motives. So he said, I'll ask you questions and you'll have to find the answers for yourself. Mm. Well, un- unlikely <laughs> we'll manage that today, but I'll think about it next time we play. But yeah, so he says, how do you value the first share in the initial auction? And I think that's something that you struggled with or mm. you were saying that it is one of the core struggles of the game is not even just the first one, but how do you value yeah. any of the yeah. shares essentially? Yeah. And how much cash would you like in the treasury? Because whatever yes. you pay is what you're going to put in. Yeah. So could you fill its treasury with enough cash to reach Chicago in the initial auction? And what are the dangers of doing so? I would think the biggest danger in that would probably be in the sense that you would become behind in shares quite quickly. Yeah. And I feel like in this game, you don't want to be behind in shares early on. Mm. If you have no bidding power in the next auction that comes up, mm. I feel like that's always really bad. Yeah. Yeah. And I also think it's tricky because if you pay a lot for the first share... And then someone gets the second share for cheap. Like that feels like you overpaid for the first one then. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It feels like you got ripped off in a sense. Mm, yeah. But sometimes it's a price. I mean, you you paid the iron price, so to speak, in order to own all of yes. the red yeah. company. Yeah, I tried to do that because I realized like if someone buys the second share in this company, I go down to 50% where I was and 100%. Um, so it's a big hit so i wanted to keep yeah keep from and that, that worked happening. really well until the mid game and then kind of petered out towards the end yes yeah, yeah the returns weren't but as good the game should have ended in the mid game yeah that is true <laughs> yeah we did mess that up so that does change things as well um so if like two out of three people have shares in red right sorry if one person has two shares in red and one person has one share in red yeah does the person with one share in red wanted to get to chicago no I don't think so. Well, maybe it depends on on whether the other person is first or last. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, well, that's what he says. Here. He says, yeah. what if the two shareholder is currently leading? Does yes. it change if they are currently last? Yeah. How much do you need that additional Chicago payout? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I do think that's a pretty tricky question to answer. Because, mm. yeah. yeah, it obviously benefits someone more. Yeah. But I would think that their relative standing would kind of affect that in some way. Yeah, but I think it's easier as a rule of thumb to try and get the sh- the companies that you own majority of to Chicago and prevent the others from getting to Chicago. Like, I think if I have one share in your company, I'm going to try and prevent you getting to Chicago next time. Yeah, so would, should the person with one share in red waste actions diverting that person away from Chicago? Because they're essentially using an action to hurt their own position. But they're hurting the opponent more. Right, but in a four-player game, yes, it gets tricky, that's right? where it gets tricky, yeah. Two-player game is more zero-sum, so yeah. there it's much simpler. And I think the minimum for this is actually three. Okay. Probably yeah. because of that. Yeah. <laughs> Probably yeah. be less exciting as two, actually. Yes. Um, so he says, if three players own a single share in red, should anyone spend their actions heading to Chicago? When all things are equal, should the players be spending their actions to keep things equal? Mm. how might this differ in a three-player game or a four-player game Mm. or five so yeah i think that's what we're just discussing now is that it becomes very tricky if there's three of you and you all dick around (laughs) trying to like sort of i don't know re-divert each other or mess with each other or just ignore that company but then you've all spent so if you all ignore that company Mm. then you've all spent money on worthless shares while the other two people's shares presumably are much better yeah but if one of you spends the action mm. i don't know it's like this weird prisons dilemma thing right like do you want to be the like if everyone does the same thing potentially it's better but if only yeah. one person does it it's worse for them yeah no i can see how that's very interesting and difficult to yeah because then what if you all are just refusing to move forward the red company but you all own one share and it's a five player game for example or actually worse it's a four player game right and the other person with no shares in red is doing way better than all of you yeah but if just one of you spends the actions doing it the other two benefits the same as you do yeah oh okay i'm starting to get it joe (laughs) um if you own all of the shares in red should you ever divert away from chicago I'm going to guess no. And which way would you go? <laughs> well, this is a dilemma you had, right? Because you ran out of trains. Because I was trying to yeah. block someone. but I, And I didn't realize exactly how tight the trains would be. And I guess that's that's kind of the thing. If you own all three shares, your incentive to block someone else is less than your incentive yes. to bear yeah. your own position. Yeah. <laughs> Can you avoid a diversion by Detroit? And why the heck has anyone allowed you to gain all three shares in red anyway? All right. Yeah. <laughs> which maybe points to it being a good strategy. Yeah. 
because uh, I was a bit skeptical of it. I was like, yo, I don't know you because you were very proactive about it and yeah. that you made sure you got those three reds. You weren't playing them defense, buying them defensively. Yeah. You were buying them offensively, I would say. Yes, but I'm, that's also, to, I was also doing it to get more money into the company. Yes. So I was doing yeah. it for both reasons. Right. Okay. Fair yeah. enough. Yeah. yeah. But I, my mistake clearly there was, I think, to try and do an early diversion. Um, I think if I hadn't done that, maybe I would have done better in that right. game. Yeah. So then Joe says, now multiply those questions by four for the other companies. Add consideration to the Wabash Railroad, which may or may not open at all. Mm. Plus the fact that the players are in control of that ticking end game clock. Every play pans out differently. Yeah. So he has a little uh, anecdote here. He says, in my last game, a player bought the first share of the green company and then sat on it doing nothing. Other players were put off by the company's lack of development, so didn't call an auction for a green share. So he was able to earn 100% of his initial $8 per round income, round after round after round, instead using his actions elsewhere to meddle with the other companies. Mm. I'd never seen anyone do that before. Mm, interesting. Yeah, no, that was a very... Very good message of Joe's. It made me think about that game again. So. Yeah, thanks, Joe. Yeah. That is that is awesome. And I think about yeah, maybe about the Cube Rails games in general and just how much mm. how much there really is to it. Yeah, yeah. But it it also like that message also actually made me think of Go again. Like oh, really? Go is yeah, also yeah. something like you can play it once and just meh. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, uh, but yeah. once you start to see the depth and things yeah i think i think it's one of those things where if you dig deep enough there's depth there that's not immediately obvious and and is super super interesting when you see it it just seems to be true of train games in general man all these yeah. games with trains it's sort of like they all have this kind of hidden depth or economic complexity to them yeah but i think the com the the depth in something like those cube rails games comes from the um interaction between the players yeah whereas the depth in go is from the game right like the the depth in that is from the implications of the rules to the game not 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 the interaction of you between your opponent and go yeah no that that's so, fair enough i think but yeah. I, yeah obviously go has like infinite moves or possibilities or whatever yeah um but what's interesting is the way that he frames those questions does mm. make it interesting in terms of the depth of like interlocking decision yeah. spaces yeah. Yeah. yeah and it does open up the potential for a lot of different possible moves right more moves than i'd considered because you only have access to a few moves but i suppose the same in go right you have access to one move essentially mm. but times mm. the number of spaces on the board yeah. yeah yeah but it does seem like there's a lot of different ways to utilize those moves yeah and a lot of a lot more forward planning yeah i think the train limitations and the clock come into that heavily as well yes very interesting thanks joe yeah thank you yeah, that is food for thought for sure yeah and i think we'll definitely have to give that another play sometime and what's really cool about it is if anyone is interested in it um what's really cool is that it's very fast mm. so you get all of that sort of like economic brain burning stuff going on um but in a game that plays in like 30 to 45 minutes yes it's really really quick ours took too long because i messed up the end game trigger but <laughs> Yeah, otherwise it, it plays really quickly and there's a lot to think about and a lot of tension in it. And I think, yeah, yeah hopefully Joe's message has inspired all of you to revisit Cube Rails if you haven't looked into it already or look into it. Mm. Um, yeah, so Dave Arlington, the 18AL benefactor, yes. <laughs> messaged us. He says, there's a rule we didn't discuss in 18AL that's quite easy to miss. So just for anyone who, I don't know, plays it. But he says, if the bank breaks in the middle of an OR, the game ends with that OR. You don't play out the rest of the ORs. Oh, Like you do in other games. Yeah, so he's not sure why that was the design decision because it is a departure. Yes, I don't think we knew that. But no. I was ended in bankruptcy anyway. So. Yeah, and then he talks yeah. a bit about 18 mechs, which we have ordered. But he says they've got a similar, a lot of similar rules, like the one train bar per OR until the fours come. Okay. Um, the soft rust on the fours, right. that sort of phasing out thing. Yeah. And the 4D instead of the diesel. Okay. And Town's not counting on your roots. Yeah. So Simon will be happy about that. Yeah. Yeah, I quite like all of those yeah. changes. So 18 Mechs talks about a very brutal train <laughs> rush. And that mm. seems to be... Because we felt like there was quite a huge train rush in it this is. too. And it seems like that restriction of one train thing kind of creates that it lulls you into a false sense of security because yeah. once they go the higher trains there are so few of them 
Yeah, I think and I think they that's go where the difference comes in. Yeah, so yeah, and I guess you've sort of got more money in your treasury by the time you get by there, or you have access to more capital because mm. you've been moving slowly. So, mm. yeah, very interesting. Yeah, he said he loved the Parktown prawns thing, and he did not know about the District Nine connection to anything real. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, interesting. Yeah. Cool. So that's cool. Um, Dave Berry, eighteen uh, XX designer, Dave Berry, yeah. royalty. Uh, just message to say, did you know that BGG has listings for podcasts? He only found out about this today. Oh. Yeah. Apparently. I didn't. Train Shuffling and Train Rush are already on there. Train oh, Shuffling really? guys are so good at all that stuff. Though. Yes. They're on and the like, ball got, with they, that yeah, stuff. They yeah. got all their like mark, their marketing team is, <laughs> <laughs> has got it down. Yeah. I remember, um, was it Eric? I think messaged me and he's like, you know, in the Slack, you should really put like derailed in brackets and you should really change your icon to like something like the podcast icon or whatever, you know, yeah. so people know who you are. I was like, oh yeah, thanks. I should do that. That was like three months ago. We, we <laughs> should we should get an icon. Yeah, <laughs> like all, yeah, all that's we have true. is a photo I took with derailed XX <laughs> on top of. That it. is true. Yeah, first time is actually having an icon. Yeah. Wait, what was that? What game was that from? Was it one of the? Was it Cologne or Rhineland? Must have been one of those. That it's we either Cologne or Rhineland. Probably Cologne, I, I would guess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. True. Step one is actually uh, getting an icon. <laughs> Um, and then we got a, a message from Thomas. Is it Loy or Louis? Did we get this right the oh, first time? Oh, I think it was Louis. I think it was Louis. Hey? Yes. Yeah, I, I think, think he's, so. one of our, he's one of our patrons. He's yeah. in our Discord, yeah. yeah. Um, so he actually sent this message weeks ago. Um, and for some reason, these two emails I'm going to read now ended up in like a weird box on my email. So oh, okay. anyway, here I was thinking I was technologically savvy, but I <laughs> you know, guess not. But I found it eventually. So he says he finished listening to our episode on 1849. Um, and he put it on his to playlist because he was very interested in it. But he said that we mentioned that 1849 is sort of a pure incremental cap game. And what we mean by that is the sort of float at 20% stuff. Right. Um, because, yeah, a lot of the Marflow games seem to have that sort of half incremental cap thing where it still floats at like 50%, but yeah. you only get, you don't get that sweet full cap yeah. money. You only get 50% of the treasure. Yeah, but it's kind of like. There's enough money to start going. Whereas if right. you float at 20%, you kind of have to think about how much money do you need in there too. Yeah, although yeah. you say that, but in 1847, I remember we there was like dictated prices for what you could float those companies at. You couldn't oh, choose. Oh, that's right. And yes. there was ones that would float and wouldn't be able to afford to buy a train on their first yes. ride. The money management in 47 is yeah. brutal. Yeah. I remember that. At the yeah. 50% float mark, you didn't have enough money to buy a train. We're like, mm. uh, <laughs> what? Yeah. So, but he said, um, I was wondering if you had some thoughts on full cap versus incremental cap strategies. I think I have a bit of a handle on full cap games like 1830, but I typically find incremental cap games to be tougher to grasp. Mm. Thanks, Thomas. Um, yeah. So I read your email before, obviously, and I gave it a little bit of thought. So I think for me, one of the most important things about partial cap or incremental cap games is generally they allow you to sell your own shares from the company yeah issuing shares yeah, yeah. so mm. a lot of times in 18xx you want access to free money mm. that's so increment the full cap gives you access to free money in a very predictable way you parred at 100 you put in 500 and you get a thousand if yeah. you're playing 89 for example um but in these incremental cap games you only get as much money as you put in yeah. but if you parred at 20 percent, you now have access to sell a bunch of shares from that company. Yeah. Yeah. So that allows you access to free money in that way. And you should be doing that. In all these games, you always want to get as much free money as possible. You want to be pushing trains as a general rule. I'm not saying mm. this is universal, but as a general rule. Yeah. Um, you, you basically want to be in control of more money than you put in. Yeah. yeah. Essentially. Yeah. I'd say the other thing, I think that it's much more complex in incremental cap games um, what to par at. Mm. I think it's much more of a decision point than it is in something like 1830. Yeah. I think at 1830, oftentimes it's just your first companies you par low and your later companies you par as high as you can. Right. Yeah. And it's generally a pretty fairly simple choice, I would say. But incremental cap games, it's quite tricky because... Um, if you par them low, you often find that your treasury sort of runs out of steam or you don't have money later on. If you par it very high, you sort of have these very high value shares, but then you don't have enough cash to mm. keep control of the company. You could end up losing the company. Um, you could not afford to buy more of your shares later on because the stock price goes up and then mm. <laughs> you can't afford to buy another one to get more money into treasury. So that's kind of a balancing act that you have to manage. Yeah. 
Um, you also generally, like in something like 46, you don't really want to be buying your own shares because with incremental cap games, as your share price goes up, that's how much money you can get into your treasury. Yeah. So if you par it at 60, when those shares reach 100, you have to pay 100 bucks for a share and that 100 will go into your treasury. And you also issue shares at 100 bucks. Yeah, then, exactly. Which I think is the big thing. And also if other people want to kind of keep you in check, they now have to spend more money, which goes to your treasury. Yeah. When the share price goes up. <laughs> so yeah. don't make the mistake of sort of saying, well, I've got 300 bucks. I'll float it at 60 and buy five of the shares. You don't want to do that. Mm. Um, you don't want to be buying all your shares up early on because you're limiting the amount of money you can get in your treasury. Right. Yeah. And that's a very different thought pattern to a full. So it might game. be better to par higher and buy fewer shares, would you say? Potentially, or even to par. I don't know, a little bit lower and still only buy 20% and save mm. that money to buy more shares. Right. Oftentimes, like in a game like 46, I think you just, all the shares jump up in value so much mm. that you just want to buy as many shares as you can generally, mm. in my opinion. The guy who has six shares is almost always way ahead of the guy who has four shares, especially mm. early on, um, because they're all going to go up in value. Right, yeah. Um, also, parring low. In a lot of incremental gap cap games basically how it works is the share price only moves up if you make as much as the share price so if you par too high your roots can't get up high enough right, to actually yeah. shift that and then you're really yeah then, yeah, you, then you stall out yeah. then you're really miserable yeah. yeah so that's why i say where to par your price is a uh, something you want to give a lot of consideration for in a partial cap game much yeah. more so than you would have experienced i think in a full cap game yeah in a full cap game the higher you par the more free money you get yeah but mm -hmm. sell your shares from the company issue shares push the trains yeah take control of the game yeah yeah, yeah. cool thanks thomas hope that kind of answers your question yeah, the idiot's guide to partial cap games. <laughs> um, and then we got an um, email from Christopher, which is like my name, but better. Um, Not Christopher. No. Well, I don't know. It's O-F-F-E-R. Oh, wow. So I feel like it's like Christopher. Mm. Maybe it's more like Stoffer. Christopher Maybe. or Christopher. Mm. Yeah. Cool name, though. It's like the better version of mine. <laughs> um, so anyway, he says, thanks for the podcast. He's even newer than us. His main experience is actually 18 Lilliput, which is that card yes. one that, yeah, that we have seen many mixed reviews from. But some people in our Discord were saying that, yeah, if you go in expecting it to be what it is, you'll enjoy it. Okay. Don't expect like an 18XX. Yeah. It's more of like a Euro-y yeah. kind of experience. Yeah. Okay. Um, so he's and he had a handful of real 18XX players, but he's receiving Chesapeake soon. And mm. hopes to teach it to new players where he lives. Nice. So he played a. He said he played a two-player 1889 two weeks ago, and they both have small children, so they divided the game into two evenings. Oh, cool. Um, it's, so it was his fourth player of 49, and the other person's first play ever. Of oh, 49 or 89? Sorry, 89. Yeah, 89. 89. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. yeah, we've enjoyed 89 and two as well. Yeah. No, yeah. we've we've often sung that one's praises at yeah. two. Um. Yeah. So he had a little situation here. He was asking us about. So he said that by the end of the first half. Uh, he forced him to purchase a diesel, but he hadn't thought about his position and was going to have to open the next OR with a forced person purchase of his own <laughs> mm. right before a stock round. So he said, I was toast. My dilemma was that my company, Brown, by far had the best route. Brown also had the highest stock value. They were both even in certificates. So he didn't want to dump the majority of his other stock, but have no income and letting him possibly go 50-50 in ownership of Brown in the next stock round. So he devised this plan. During the forced purchase, he sold four shares of brown. We were then down to 2020 to buy diesel so he could keep the stock that would actually get revenue. But then he let his second company buy that diesel. So he could, if he wanted to, take over a trainless company or else let me buy back my shares uncontested. And sure, he would miss another OR of revenue, but then at least he got two ORs with a diesel run. Mm. So he chose the latter. He still won the game, but it was a fun defensive mood to try out pretty cool mm. yeah so basically what he's saying is it was a two-player game and this company was really good but he sold all of its shares in order to emergency buy a train all right but because he sold those shares in the or he could then rebuy them in the stock round yes but he sold shares of that company i think to buy a train for a different company right or he bought it for that company and then moved the train across essentially okay. yeah right before the stock run so i think that's a pretty cool move actually because yeah. basically what it means is that yeah you can take over this company but it's trainless and you're going to have to buy a train for it which oh, okay. obviously isn't going to be worth it especially towards the end of the game 
Yeah. Pretty clever. But then obviously you sold all those shares, Mm. got max value out of them, and then got to buy them back for cheap. Yes. Yeah. Very clever, Mr. This was only my fourth player. (laughs) He's got a better name and he's smarter than me. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So did you understand that situation? I don't know if I explained that very well. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Yeah. But basically he sold, he was 50-50 in one company and he sold shares in his best company. So them. as not to lose the 50-50. Uh, well, basically so as to, yeah, to buy a train for the other one. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the guy had 20%, but I think there was shares in the IPO potentially as well already. Okay. Yeah. So he sold enough so that they could go even on them. He um, has to be first in the upcoming stock round then. Oh, or, okay. He yeah, doesn't because he basically cause he basically made it, mm. yeah. Okay. Not, not great yeah. for him to buy. Yeah. yeah. Very, very cool yeah. very very cool well done yeah he still lost but at least he, he got to try it yeah um he says what strikes me with 1889 at low player counts is the low initial capital in 1830 or 18 chesapeake you always divide 2400 evenly 1889 at two players only 840 total to start with which makes it slower mm. is this unique for 89 do you think but 89 also divides its capital equally, right? I can't remember. Exactly I don't think it's like made up numbers. I mean, they have the numbers on the graph for you to show you. Yeah. 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 I don't know how exactly it works. But I didn't feel cash poor in 89. Yeah. yeah I, I don't mean, know if it's different from something like 30, because in 30, you have to own 60% of a company, whereas 89, you only have to float at 50%. Yeah. The only time I felt really cash poor right at the beginning is in five player, 1830. Very often there, if you buy something during the private auction, you can't afford to float solo. Yeah. In most other cases I've had, you can usually afford to float solo if you don't spend too much in the private auction. And I want to say that I don't believe 1830 officially supports two players. Mm. I feel like it's listed player count on the box is actually three to six. Yeah, I think that's Which would make sense because then if it's 2,400, then each player starts with 800, which is more in line with um, 89. So I don't know if starting with 1,200, if you're playing two-player 1830, which I think is possible. I just think it's not recommended, but maybe it wasn't necessarily designed to be played and that's why you get so much money. Okay, yeah. 18 Chesapeake, I have not played yet. So yeah, yeah, I'm not sure about that. I know you can play that two-player, but maybe they've baked that into the design in a sense. Yeah, I would say that the amount you get in two-player Chesapeake felt fairly normal to me. It didn't feel like a little bit. Okay. Yeah, sorry, not very insightful, but (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I think that the reason 1830 is different is because I don't believe it officially supports two. Okay, yeah, that could be. And if you do with three, then you're looking at similar amounts of money. Yeah. Yeah, but I suppose Mm. a smaller pool of starting capital, so. Yeah. I mean, a bigger pool for 1830. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, thank you. Thanks for the story. Very, very cool. Yeah. All right. Should we move on to our main topic? Yes. Our main topic for the evening. So I was sort of digging around for something we could talk about um, because we haven't played any games. Um, But I wanted to do another kind of like strategy thing because I think those are pretty fun. Um, So I sort of stumbled into this topic. I was poking around on forums looking for something to talk about. Um, and I thought it'd be kind of a cool topic to talk about how to get back into a game or like what to do when you're losing. So mm. some strategies for when you're losing. So something we've said on the podcast a lot is when you're losing, change something. Yeah. Try and, quo is not going to win you the game. Yes, yeah. exactly. So disrupt the status quo. Mm. Um, try and mess with stuff. You're just start causing destruction basically (laughs) so that doesn't mean like playing randomly or making random actions but it does mean trying to hurt other players positions a lot of the time yeah Um, because simply trying to improve your own is often not going to be good enough Mm. because you won't be able to improve it along if the trajectory stays the same you're going to lose yeah so you have to actually alter other players trajectory rather than just staying on your own idea of like let me buy some stocks let me improve my profits yeah (laughs) if you know you're behind do something yep yeah so um i was sort of trawling through forum posts and i found a few suggestions for stuff that you can do um a lot of these came from the ubiquitous jc lawrence um he was talking in a forum post about stuff that he'd seen other players do okay that were pretty cool um so there were some good ones from there and then yeah other stuff i just Managed to find. So I think the first one and the most obvious one is buy trains. Um, that's sort of the baseline strategy. If you can force the game forward, mm. uh, essentially buying trains is the easiest way to disrupt the status quo. 
Right. Yeah. Everyone's got their companies and they're paying revenue and everything's going great for them. Yeah. You want to rust their trains. Yes. Especially, this is especially true if you have more of a long-term strategy because a lot of people are going to be like looting their companies and trying to run their two trains and, and stuff like that. So if you have more of like a long game in mind or like a, I don't know, I guess like a slow appreciation or something like that, you are earning less than them essentially. If mm. you are earning the least from trains, you want to push the trains. I guess is a yeah. simple way to say what I'm saying. Yeah. If you yeah, if other people are making more per hour than you are, then you want fewer hours. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So something I like an opening I often do in eighteen thirty is I float New York, New Haven, which is a really great first company to open. And you can I've spoken about this before, you can go northeast and buy a bunch of two trains and run that route as many times as people will allow you to, which is usually not very many. And just loot that company and then sell it down and then float the next thing, right? But you can also play a longer game where you sort of go northwest, which is, I think, what I'm doing. That is what I'm doing in our podcast game that we're playing. Mm -hmm. So I am incentivized in a way to sort of move the trains along and not let people who bought four two trains or three two trains or whatever continue to run those trains. Yes. I need to yeah. say, uh, -uh. <laughs> yeah. we need to we need to stop this, right? Yeah. Um, because they're gaining much more revenue than me, mm -hmm. which means I'm losing, yeah. which means buy trains. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so if you really are behind and you really need to push trains, don't be afraid to sell your company down to 20% um, in order to do so. You can even be correct to force emergency buys and push that aggressively. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that you can easily do if you have two companies. Yeah. Like, absolutely. Move all the money from one to the other by buying its last train and then do a forced buy. Yeah. So, sell one. your company down to 20%, float mm -hmm. a new one. Even if you have to use some of your private cash to force an emergency buy, mm. if you can put people in an, enough of an uncomfortable position, you could just put them under a lot of pressure. Yeah. So let's say you emergency buy, but you only have to pay in like 200 or 150. Someone else could be on the hook for much more if you take them by surprise and yes. force the trains very quickly. Yeah. Especially if it allows you to push into permanent trains, for example. Yeah, and especially if they lose more of the, let's say, two trains than you lose. Yeah. Like if they were running three two trains and you had one, you want to rust those twos. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you put them in a position where they have to force buy and then they don't have money to float new companies and push the trains back mm. in your direction. So you end up with like threes and fours that potentially will run for longer. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that one, I think, is sort of a good sort of baseline strategy. Um, yeah. yeah, pushing trains is the easiest way to pressure all other players at the table at once. Yeah. Um, so it's always a good thing to do if you can do it. Yeah. Um, so this strategy I really like. This is so now we're getting into the novel stuff. Okay. The, the more creative stuff. So yeah, I thought I could read these and you could tell me what you think. Um, I can say that from what I've read. All of these strategies were employed successfully. Okay. So I, I don't think any of these are bogus or stupid. I think that all of them, if executed well, can be effective. Okay. Just thought I could say that because some of them might sound mm. out there. Okay. So this one I like. So this one is basically aggressive floating, aggressively floating companies. So float a company, sell it down to 20, have that company stolen from you. Float another company, <laughs> sell it down to 20, have someone steal it from you. Repeat until your final company is not stolen and then use the money you've gained or not gained, but use the money you have left to buy the best shares for cheaper than you sold them for. Uh, so that'll be in the next stock round that you can buy back, right? Is yeah. That what they mean? Yeah. Okay. So mm. the idea is you can basically float a bunch of companies. As soon as someone steals a company from you, you can actually sell the rest of your shares mm. as well, yeah. which is great. So normally... If you float it at 60%, let's assume 1830 a year, you sell 40% of them. Now you're down to 20. Someone's like, oh, that's a cheap company with the treasury. Great. Yeah. They steal it from you. Then you sell the remaining 20%. So now they have this treasury and they have access to it and they got access to it for fairly cheap. But you have essentially really trashed their stock price. Yeah. And they ended up paying more for it than you will if you rebuy them. And they're probably at five or six shares. Yeah. So they can't buy as many of the cheap shares in the next stock round exactly. as you can. So you do all of that. So everyone has these companies. So the trains are pushing and all of that, obviously. This would essentially, I would assume, push the trains pretty quickly because everyone has access to these treasuries. Mm. They start buying trains. But then comes the next stock round and now you have all this money. Mm. And now you can cherry pick the best company's shares and get them for cheap. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's a cool one. I like it. Yeah, very mm. cool. Hey? Yeah. I like that as well. Very cool. So, yeah, basically, I mean, this works best in something like 1830 when there's a lot of companies to float, yeah. especially early on. Um, there'll be a lot of companies still available to float. Mm. Something like 89 with less companies, um, you may have to stop the chain a little bit earlier, but still potentially yeah. viable. Yeah. Yeah. So, basically, you allow everyone else control of these companies and these treasuries and they all fight each other, pushing trains and putting pressure on each other because it essentially would create a bit of a, yeah. a train rush mayhem kind of yes. thing. Yeah. But then once the dust settles, you get to come back in with the most cash by far mm. and just start cherry picking the best shares and getting them for cheap. Mm. I like it. Very cool. I like it as well. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Um, so what I really like about this list is how creative a lot of these things are. And mm. I think it shows the sort of like robustness of the 18xx system. Yes. That there's all this like crazy stuff that you can potentially try that I hadn't even thought of. Yeah. And it's like, wow, that's actually yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. But there's so much that can happen in 18xx. So that's why I always feel like, oh, I want to play with these really good people and see the weird stuff that they do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the next one, uh, don't float anything. Um, mm -hmm. So this would potentially be even after like the initial stock round, for example. If you felt like you were really behind in the auction, the mm. private auction was what I mean by initial stock round. So maybe if you're really behind in that, but don't float anything, buy out every company you can, sell down all their shares, and then the next stock round, buy shares for cheap and be in the lead share wise. Oh, okay. Yeah. So basically, everyone else is like floating their companies or whatever, and you just buy pieces of everyone. Yeah. Or as many as you can, even if you buy them out as many, even if you buy like up to 40% of as many companies as you can, yeah. essentially, right? Which would potentially not be that many if it was early on. But maybe if you didn't get any um, expensive privates, which makes you feel like you're far behind, that's when you could potentially have a lot of money. You could potentially buy four shares of one company, three shares of another. Yeah, I think, I think what that strategy is describing is um like buy as many shares as you can in one company then sell all of those yeah then do the same with the next company yeah so maybe i buy five shares in your company sell five then buy five shares in second player's company sell five that's um, true because you'd get that money back exactly so you, yeah. so you can keep doing that and at the end of the stock round you'll have zero shares right but um so for one set of ors if it's early enough in the game i can see that working because they might just be one or two ors yeah. And then, um, yes, yeah, so you probably have to do it in stock round two. A you lot can't of, do it in stock round one. Yeah, you can't. There's no selling. There's no selling. Yeah. But then in stock round three, you can buy a lot of cheap shares. Yeah. And then have a, a share advantage over other players. Well, that's forward. what's kind of cool, right? Is mm. that, like you say, after stock round two, maybe there's only one or maybe two ORs before mm. you get into stock round three. You come into stock round three with a heap of cash. Yeah. And you just start buying up cheap shares. All the shares for cheap. Yeah. All the shares prices that you've tanked, other people can't afford to buy them all up. So you just yeah. start buying up all of them. Very so now if everyone else has six shares, you might have nine. Yeah. And oftentimes, especially in games like 1830, being in the lead share-wise can be really good because the revenues are low. So this is going to work better in a low revenue game. Right. Um, where most of your final score is going to be stock value. Yes. 1830 is a good example of that. 60 yeah. to 70% of your final score is going to be yeah. your stock value, essentially. Yeah. So yeah, getting in the lead share-wise, mm. it's pretty cool. And remember, these are all things that you're doing when you're behind, yeah. essentially, right? So we're not saying that this is like, yeah, necessarily a go-to strategy. If you come out of the initial auction with like great privates and you got them for cheap or whatever, your baseline strategy there is going to be like, cool, float a company, sell the privates in, mm. float. You're going to go through that sort of thing where you get access to a lot of capital. Yeah. And yeah. you're going to try and control the capital in the game. But this is if you're behind. Yeah. And you're like, let's disrupt things. So yeah. you're trashing everyone else's stock mm. price and then buying back in for cheap. Yeah. Which is great. Very cool. Yeah. I like this one as well. Yeah. Mm. Very, very cool. Um, the next one, fairly simple. Um, just start powering multiple companies at the minimum to make players get less treasury so you can sort of identify which companies players would want to float next mm. and just par them at the minimum and basically minimize their act their access to capital so they'll take control of the company from yeah. you yeah they'll take over floating it but then they won't have a lot of capital. they'll take over floating it but they will they wanted to par it at 100 and you part it at 67 or yeah. whatever yeah yeah which can often be quite useful in, in sort of slowing down the game or just sort of yeah, essentially not allowing players to have access to a lot of capital. Yeah, yeah, it starves companies of money in full cap games mm. for sure, especially once the more expensive trains start. It's a bit of a scorched out. earth strategy, <laughs> essentially. Yeah. 
Yeah, but I, I, I like the idea. I think this is often the idea is that you're just trying to hurt other people as much as you can. Mm. Because if you can drag everyone down to your level, mm. then you can start to try and claw your way above them. Yeah. But until you've dragged them down with you, you can't actually get in front of them. Yeah. And that's why a lot of these strategies are focused on basically... First, dragging everyone down and then allowing yourself to be at the top of the scrap heap, mm. essentially. Mm. Yeah. So I think that makes sense. I think that's something we've seen done before. Um, not necessarily to the same extent. I, I think I've seen it in our games once or twice before where someone sort of defensively part a company low yeah. just to yeah. sort of deny someone. But you could potentially par, <laughs> yes. you, you could par all the remaining companies low. Well, that's kind of what Sanchez did in our online game. Yeah. Yeah, he part a whole bunch of companies without floating them. But we didn't bite. We didn't take them out. Yeah, well, I think he may have done it too early. <laughs> yes. And so yeah. then we were just like, cool, we can let your shares rot. Good luck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, but if you really need access to a treasury, like there's yeah. train rusting coming or something, and you need access to a treasury, then yeah. you're going you're gonna to take it over. Yeah. yeah. Okay, the next one I really like because it involves suitcasing. Okay. So suitcasing a company or briefcasing a company is a term you'll hear sometimes. Mm. It's sort of like a more advanced strategy, I suppose, but it's a really fun thing to fiddle with. But basically, this applies to full cap games in general. I don't know if you can suitcase companies in non-full cap games. But anyway, I suppose if you can get access to free money, maybe you can. But full cap gives you access to the most free money. So basically what you do is you float a company and you don't buy trains for it. So you mm. float a company that has no route at all. Yeah. So in this case, you would want to pick the company that's the furthest away from any existing company. Mm. You don't want people to build track to it to force you to buy a train. So just float something that no one is keen to get in the vicinity of. Yeah. And you could even try and build track away from it. So people would have to upgrade it to get right. into your area, right? So when you do your track builds, you can try and basically make it less accessible yes. as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you suitcase that company. You don't buy any trains. You buy all your private companies. If you have any, mm. you sell that company down to 20% and you use all that money to trash everyone else's stock and then you float a new company. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's something I've been aware of, but I've, I've never been able to pull off. <laughs> like, well, I, I feel like we haven't tried the, the suitcasing thing enough. We haven't properly like sat yeah. down and said, I'm going to suitcase this game. And, and this is not an uncommon strategy at no. all. Not at all. Yeah. So this is great. So basically, yeah, what you're going to do, you have access to a lot of money here in mm. the sense. So you basically will briefcase it, buy your privates. You use you need to do this if you have privates to buy. Right. So that's pretty essential because you need to be extracting money out of it. Mm. Otherwise, let's say you float it at 60 for simplicity's sake um, and you put 300 and then you sell three of your shares back you're only getting 180 yeah. right um because you can only sell down to 20 percent. so you need to be buying privates to elevate that money beyond mm. yeah yeah but you could, could also be buying trains for your other company if you have another one as well yeah if you don't have a route you, you still have the option to buy a train but then you can sell it to the un other company without being forced to buy a, a replacement another train. one exactly yeah. yeah so you can still use that treasury yes but essentially what you're trying to do with this briefcase is generate a bunch of money for yourself that you can use to trash everyone else's yeah. stock yeah. that's what you want the money for so suitcase the company get a sell all your privates get as much money into your hands as you can mm. next stock round comes around buy everyone else's stock then sell it all mm. and then float a brand new company mm. and use the treasury from your suitcase company like you say to yeah. buy even more trains for that so then you can be pushing trains yeah everyone else is these companies with crappy share prices yeah and train pressure yeah. which makes it really hard for them if you do this at the right time because they can't now sell those shares mm. to buy trains for it yeah. so if you do this and push the trains with the suitcase company and the newly floated company mm. they're in really really big trouble because their shares are in the market so they can't sell shares in order to do train buys and also the shares that they can sell mm. are going to be worth way less yeah so they have now, you've basically limited their access to capital. Mm. If you can have more access to capital than any other players, you're going to win the game. You're going to catch up at least, yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly, yeah. Okay, how do you feel about that one? That's mm. cool. Yeah, it's it's one that I've been aware of, but I haven't Yeah, I like I like the idea of using the suitcase. Like, I feel like in my mind, suitcasing a company has been something you do to help another company that you already mm. floated that's kind of struggling or whatever. I really like the idea of suitcasing your very first company 
and using that money just to trash everyone else's stock. Yeah. That's pretty great. I like that. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Last one. Rush as many companies as you can and aggressively token the whole map to limit revenue for all corporations. Drag everyone down with you in terms of low revenues and then cherry pick the best shares from there. Okay. Yeah. So this is something where you could do where you pile the companies low, where you spend all their money basically like tokening everyone out. Yeah. And then again, you'd probably want to sell down these companies and then try and figure out. And then the use the money to sell down the other companies as well. Yeah. yeah. So you're basically going to use the treasury. You're going to float companies with the most tokens and use the treasury. So basically, this is a tokening strategy where you're not interested in if the tokens work for you. Yeah. You literally just trying to block as many routes as you can. Yeah. Um, because if everyone's out earning you in revenue, you need to do something yeah. to limit that. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So that's pretty cool as well. Mm. So, yeah, a lot of this involves sort of like basically treating your companies like crap and then ruining everything mm. and then trying to be the first one to like cherry pick the best stuff from there. Yes. Because you selling down all your stuff, these are companies you don't care about. You're using their tokens, you're looting their treasuries. Everyone else is maybe trying to run a good company or yeah. build it up or build a great route. You don't care about any of that. Yeah. <laughs> you're just like, let me float this and try and ruin your routes as much as possible. Yes. Yeah. Especially if you have two companies, you can really potentially try to ruin people's routes. Yeah. If they let you token both spots or something, mm. you know, then yeah, you can block other companies. Then you're in really, really big trouble. Yeah. yeah. So I think that one would be pretty difficult to pull off. Um, you'd have to be very mindful of what operating order is. Yeah. When you're operating in relation to other companies, if they're aware of what you're trying to do. Mm. Yeah. A tricky one. Which companies you're floating? Do they have tokens? Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, a, I think it's a tricky the, one to pull off. If you yeah. know the game well, you can probably do it. Yeah. Yeah. And this is one that would potentially work very well in an incremental cap game when you can get access to a lot of companies and a lot of tokens for not a lot of money. Mm. Yeah. Which yeah. would be interesting to try as well. Very cool. Yeah, man. So that's my list. Yeah, no, that was very interesting. It's cool, and, eh? uh, Yeah, thank you for that. Because since I'm the one that's usually losing, I, <laughs> I hopefully can make use of some I'll make of this. a copy of this for you. <laughs> yeah. And send it to you. You'll have to listen to the episode. If I see you got earphones in while we're playing and I hear yes. my voice and be like, wait a minute. <laughs> I'll, make, no, I'll make notes as I edit. And you're just going to be like, cool, sell these three shares down to the presidency. And I'm like, wait a minute. What's going on here? <laughs> Yeah, man. So, yeah, that's the list. I think they're really, really cool. Thanks yeah. very much um, to JC Lawrence as well, because a lot of these came from him. Mm. Um, it was stuff that he had seen in games that he'd played. Okay. Um, so he actively seeks out very good players um, and plays with them. I think he enjoys the yeah. the challenge. So, yeah, yeah, I think he'd seen some experienced players pull off some of this stuff. So Sadly, we'll probably never play with him. <laughs> yeah, so we'll, we'll never <laughs> play with him. Yeah. Exactly. I'm sure you'd be willing to kick our ass a couple of times. <laughs> you know, just show us what it's all about. <laughs> yeah, man. So, any questions? No, that was a lot to think about, but very interesting for sure. Yeah. I was going to say that's good because I don't think I have any answers. Okay. <laughs> that's as deep as I was going. Uh, I might have questions next time we play. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What was What is that third one again? How many companies do I upload? Yeah. I'm feeling like I'm behind. Yeah. Oh, man. So for South African stuff, should we move on to the South African thing quickly? Okay. I had one I wanted to talk about, and that was our butterflies. Yes. Which I thought was really, really cool. So everyone's been talking about this recently, even though supposedly it happens every year. But I think maybe we, we relearn about it every year. But if you drive around South Africa now, and it seems like all over South Africa, but I've seen plenty of them up here in Joburg, there's these white butterflies everywhere. Mm. You'll see like these huge clouds of them. Apparently, what's happening is it's the annual migration, annual migration of the butterfly. So they basically fly from, they gather from all over South Africa and they gather in South Africa and they fly basically in the direction of Mozambique and Madagascar. Okay. And it's quite weird. So what they do is they basically lay eggs along the way, Mm. but they just like fly over the sea. And at some point they just get too tired and drop into the sea oh really yeah so they're not really migrating they're just spreading <laughs> yeah, they're they're spreading just, eggs <laughs> it's sort of like a, a mass suicide disguised as a migration oh shame man i wonder if they know <laughs> yeah i don't know so they obviously have this instinct to fly in this direction and along the way they lay eggs yeah but yeah the, so they they can't quite 
I think that they don't quite have figured it out, like why they do it this way or what the okay. the point is. Are they just optimistically hoping to reach <laughs> Madagascar? Is that like the promised land? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so people have been asked to help butterfly researchers uh, map the migration route hmm. as they make their way. Yeah, I haven't been doing my part. I haven't mapped <laughs> anything. I'm just like, ooh, pretty butterflies. Yeah. But yeah, so it's quite interesting. But it's quite cool to see because it's sort of this like fun thing that's happening and everyone's yes. kind of been talking about it. And yeah, you just drive along the street and you see them all over the show. Yeah. Very inoffensive. They're quite small and they just like plain little whites. white ones. Yeah, yeah, they're just little white yeah. things. Yeah. But I think there are more this year than normally. Like most animal populations go through fluctuations, and I think this year there's just a little yeah, bit maybe more it's than just usual, a bit more noticeable, which yeah. is why people are talking about it. Yeah. Yeah, but it's quite cool driving around and you see these big like yes, blocks yeah. of them. Yeah. Saw lots when we played disc golf as well. Yes, yeah. yeah. We're like, what are you still doing here? Yeah. <laughs> this is Joburg, man. You've got to get to Madagascar. Like, <laughs> get going. Yeah. Did you see that? You know that meme with the guy like looking at the butterfly and saying, and oh, the yes, meme yeah. is like, is this whatever? Yes, like, yeah, another one. Yeah. So I saw one in, in about... Everyone in Joburg is like this, but there's no text on it. It's just like, oh, butterfly. Uh, oh, right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Probably people holding giant moths. Like, is this a brown veined butterfly? <laughs> yeah, apparently they're called the brown veined butterfly. Oh, really? Yeah, but if you look closely at them, they do have like little brown lines all along all their wings all and along stuff. The wings. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Very cool, though, but it's quite a, I don't know, I guess it's kind of like a fun thing that's happening at the moment. Yes. Yeah. yeah, there's always stuff like this that happens and everyone's like talking about it, like, oh, have you seen the butterflies? I Did you know that they, yes, I know they fly to. You know, yeah. the chaos theory thing. I wonder how much chaos these butterflies have caused in Yo. the rest of the world, man. Yo, so alas. many butterflies flapping their wings in Africa. What, what's happening in the rest exactly, of the world? Exactly, man. <laughs> coronavirus is happening. In yeah, it's true. <laughs> we caused the coronavirus, guys. We're very sorry. I think we've had any cases of that inside africa yes no we haven't luckily yeah. yeah i don't know i could do some time off work <laughs> <Yo, laughs> i'll take a, one for the team dangerous way to take time off work <laughs> yeah we'll see Although, i don't think i trust my immune system well actually. mortality rate is not that high in middle-aged people so. did you just call me middle-aged <laughs> yes oh my god <laughs> so this is you're already employing the 18xx strategy are you trying to drag me down to no, no 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 i'm, I'm just not calling you old you're or, just trying to drag me down into the middle age category with you <laughs> you're not old or a child so ah you're somewhere know, in the middle is 30, is 32 middle-aged I don't, I don't think it counts as middle-aged but i think in terms of like with with things like disease outbreaks they usually they are different mortality rates for old people yeah children and everyone else which is right. like in the middle <laughs> i think there's been no one under 35 who was also like over 18 or something that has died okay but that was old data i don't know yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'll be the first yeah. <laughs> i've never seen an immune system as poor as mine <laughs> well i'm not i'm not trying to call you 50 but uh, <laughs> i'm just saying like you're in the safe zone for me. yeah yeah um, hopefully yeah <laughs> i'm not planning any trips to china so yeah but what if my, what if all my 18xx board games come back with the cooties, man? Yeah, be yeah. careful of those yeah. air-filled packaging. Exactly. Material. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't exactly. pop them. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Eh? Yeah, I've got a lot of all my all the board games are being mass reduced in China. Yeah. Mm. Ah, if I die playing an 18xx, I could think of worse ways to go. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Okay. Sweet guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Can you still say tuning in when it's not radio? So how uh, that works? I think people still do say that. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. I just did. Yeah. There you go. We create language as we go. <laughs> but yeah, thanks very much, guys. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the podcast. And yeah, I think we're gonna we got to try and strong arm our group into playing with us more, so we have more games to talk about. We yeah. really or two need to player, go back. Man. Yeah, we need to go back to sixty-two. So maybe two players is gonna be the way we do it. Yeah. Sweet. Thanks, cool. guys. Thanks very much. Cheers. Bye. If you would like to get in touch with us, we are at derailed18xx on Instagram and Twitter. You can email us, derailed18xx at gmail.com. And we're on Patreon at patreon.com slash derailed18xx. Thanks for listening.